Well, if you can open up your Bibles this morning to Psalm 127 this morning, we are on the front end of what is for the church, kind of our calendar year, our ministry year, um, and we head into the fall, and there's, you know, uh, uh, launching of our small groups, and as you heard this morning, our children's ministry, and there's busyness going on everywhere for you parents and your kids and school, and the seasons changing, and sports and everything else, and so it's a, it's a, it's an energizing time of the year, and it, we usually take a time to slow down and think about our mission here at Cross of Grace, and and think and consider again what what has God called us to, and how do we stay faithful and on point with that? So it's an exciting time of the year, but it, to be honest, the the it it for me um, there's a there's a load that feels a bit daunting when when we do come into the fall. I, there's lots to do. There's administration. There's communication. There's organization. There's re-envisioning. All this launching. And it's a, it's a struggle for my heart, not because these things aren't important and needful, but typically what it often does, it, it unearths Nate's dependence on himself. And it's, oh, I'm anxious, and I'm worrisome, and I'm burdened, and it, and it reveals a problematic confidence in my heart that I have on Nate. What I can do, what I can create, what I can build, what I can sustain, the fruit that can come through my hands, and it, and it helps me reset by observing and seeing those things. It's a, it's a reset of, of who I am I trusting in. It's a reset in what power will truly make anything good happen that I've put my hands to. And I don't think I'm alone in that temptation. I don't think I'm alone when, when there's work to be done, there's goals to be met, life is happening, it's intense, it's hot, and we need to, to slow down and remember. Uh, remember personally, remember at, as a church, we need to reset, refocus our hearts and refocus our hearts on our mission as a church, but us as believers, as, as disciples. What, what am I building on? What power is going to help me build? What is going to motivate me? What is going to renew me and give me purpose? And I believe, I believe one, Psalm 127 is going to help us today and, and hopefully in some very practical ways uh, as well. So we're going to read this morning and then we'll, we'll pray and jump in. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." Join me as we pray. Lord, as we just sang this morning, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. Um, as, we, as we pivot and move into this new season of the year, for some of us it, it kind of feels normal, things will just sort of be static. For others, it, it feels like there's a lot going on and 
And as we consider our mission as a church, our, our purpose as a community of faith, Lord, we, we want to build well. We want our confidence and our hope and the, the energy in which we rely on in order to do that to be all in the right place. And we need your help. And so as we consider this this morning through this psalm, Lord, would you, would you speak to our hearts by the Spirit? Strengthen us as a church. Strengthen us as your people by your power, and in your Son. Amen. Amen. Well, a little bit about this psalm. Psalm 127 falls into a group of psalms, uh, subtitled the Songs of Ascent. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. You might notice that in your Bible, a little kind of subtitle footnote there. We don't really know what that meant uh, then, but it's likely these were songs and prayers offered as Jews would pilgrimage to Jerusalem on one of the several annual feasts as they ascend, the songs of ascending, ascend to the city of Jerusalem. And you can hear examples of this in uh, other psalms surrounding Psalm 127, like Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Remember, the city of Jerusalem was representative of the place where God dwelt with his people. There was blessing there. His house was there. The temple, is, it was the central place of worship and where God's people would be in his presence. The authorship is attributed to King Solomon, King David's son, and he led in the construction and dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. And as he followed God's ways um, through Solomon, God built Israel into a powerful and magnificent nation. Of all men, the wisdom of Solomon was, was unparalleled. We see that in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And likewise, we will see this morning in Psalm 127. And what's interesting is I read that psalm, maybe you picked up, it's, it's kind of like a proverb. It, it's giving truth and wisdom on how to live for God in regular things of life. So Monday mornings, working your job, eating, your house, sleep, family. The psalm really doesn't capture like a song of lament or even worship, but it is praise. It's communicating praise in such that God's people need to be reminded of truth, that the blessing of these practical realities of life are coming from him and are for him, and how easy it is to detach God from involvement in those basic things of life. What has often struck me in this psalm, as I read it, maybe this is for you, it seems like there's two entirely different subjects here. The first part talks about the city and building and working and sleeping, and then the second half it's like, hooray for babies, kids are awesome. And I'm like, what is the connection here? How do these link? Well, if we consider the, there's a thread through these, and, and one of them actually is sort of hidden in the original Hebrew. There is this similarity between the, the word for builders, or the ones who build, and children, the sons, in verse 3 and 4. So how does one build a home or a city? By sons, by children. We can see it come out in the connection of this home or dwelling. A dwelling is being built by builders in a city, and within the city there are homes, and in the homes there are families. And in the, the city, there's work to be done, there's jobs, there's responsibilities, and as all of those pieces are doing their part, the society is healthy and good and growing and flourishing. 
So the psalm begins with the home, a place for parents and children, and ends with a parent aware of the blessings of his sons at the city gate. And each section begins, and this is the most important piece, the most important truth, that these are blessings from God. These things have to orientate and see their source and fulfillment as something received by God and for faith in Him. However, to live life and walk through these things, working, eating, resting, families, homes, without dependence or reference to Him, can be disastrous, can be vain. And we, I don't want that. My hope is that you don't want that, and I don't want that for our church. And as we lead into a ministry year, this, this psalm has good, wise truth for us practically as believers, and really important truths for us as we seek to follow Jesus on his mission as a church, to make disciples, to grow and build as his church. And we discuss mission and vision, and we get busy with ministries and ideas or even actual buildings, big ideas and goals, and at times those things can begin to to distract us. They become maybe lofty ideas or even this intangible sort of mysterious thing out there, but life in God's kingdom is not supposed to be that way. Not intangible, not inaccessible, but bearing down and connecting to everyday life. And our God and God's mission for us as his disciples is found in everyday life. You are a disciple of Jesus, and you're going to be confronted with what that looks like to live as a disciple tomorrow morning when you get up for your commute. It's found in wiping babies' butts. It's found up in getting and growing a business that's hard and difficult. It's attending to the cares of your home and parenting or caring for a parent. It's life in God's community. It's life in your neighborhood. Our mission to make disciples to God's glory will happen as we treasure, as we live, as we proclaim, as we depend on the gospel in everyday life. The Lord is sovereign, he's powerful, but he is not removed or detached. He wants to be in and among those everyday things. So we, as God's people, as his church, as his beloved, are to see him as the source of all things and depend on him for his blessing and provision in all that we put our hands to. And that is what you need to do at home today and this week, and that is what we need to do as God's church on his mission. So let's consider Psalm 127. How does this psalm begin? We'll look at these two parts. We see this repetition in the poetry driving this point home. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord, Yahweh, watches over the city. Unless, what then? What, what is the opposite of that? Unless he does that, what if he does not do that? Then the builder builds in vain. The watcher, all his watching is in vain. It's useless. It's empty. Two very essential parts of a prosperous city and a safe city. When houses stop being built, all of you builders or business guys, you know, there's, there's something's wrong with the economy when we can't build anymore. When it's booming, usually an indicator that things are going well. The watchman was part of the security of the city, the safety of its families and the properties being guarded well. These were people that watched. There were no Google Nest cameras and alarm systems at this point. 
It was laborious. It was work. There was dependence on those things. And so how does the Lord, how does Yahweh build? How does Yahweh watch? Well, from the beginning, the Lord was the master. He is the master builder, the first and primary builder. We go and we begin in Genesis as he creates this world and then he sets his people released, man and woman, to build. Captured in the first chapters of Genesis, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden and began to work it, to tend it, to take care of it. This has been the pattern, this, this commission throughout history. He uses and commissions men and women then throughout history, weak, needy, often the unlikely ones, he picks and calls to accomplish his sovereign purposes on the earth, working in and through them by his power as they look to him, his will for his glory. So the Lord builds as his people in faith and obedience look to him in dependence and in worship. God is the source, he's the power, he's acting through his people as they look to him in trust. As Acts captures, in him we live and we move and we have our being. So to not look to God as the creator and the source, as the one to be trusted and hoped in and worshipped, it will all be in vain. We see that three times in our text. It will be vain, vain, vain. If the Lord is not building and watching, then all the ventures that we put our hand to, no matter how grandiose that city is, how beautiful, how tall those skyscrapers are, how wonderful everything seems to be among God's people, if it's not for Him, it's worthless and vain. We can have all the securities, saints, all the securities and prosperous stuff we think that we need around us that seem to communicate peace and safety and security. And we can look to them as idols for our hearts. Good jobs, our insurance plans, 401ks, the new house, the new appliances that we'd be sure we get a, a warranty with. The best neighborhood, the best city, the best school, all indicators that everything is okay and right, but remain, if it's remained void and detached from God, it is vain. It's false. It's, it's, it's not really safety. It's not really peace. They're false hopes in something that in the end are going to rust and crumble away. To make the point clearer, the, the psalmist in verse 2 says, all the watching and all the building, which is really needful work, you can rise up early and go to bed late. You can, you can sweat it out. You can eat lunch, the bread of anxious toil, at your computer every day. You can stay up to 1 a.m. hammering it out. And remember that work is good. Genesis 1 establishes work is good. We know that, but Genesis 3, we see that the toil gets intertwined with sin. And the work is good, but it becomes sweaty and thorny. And the error is that we wrongly look to our hands and our talents to get the results for our own pride, our own selfish gain, rather than our trust in the Lord as the source and the safety and the blessing and the peace. And when we don't, that anxious toil rises up in our hearts. And every one of us know what that feeling is like. So the issue isn't work or not working. I mean, notice here, these aren't lazy people. 
They're really working. Workers are working. Watchers are watching. It's not a rebuke on procrastination or laziness. It's, it's overwork disconnected from God. Charles Spurgeon says, Note that the psalmist does not bid the builders cease from laboring, nor suggest that the watchmen should neglect their duty, nor that man should show their trust in God by not doing, or for, for doing nothing. Nay, he supposes that they will do all that they can do, and then he forbids them fixing their trust in what they have done, and assures them that all creature effort will be in vain unless the Creator puts forth his power. So what is the challenge? Is we keep working, it's good, only unless, only unless the Lord is in it. Unless the Lord is in it. So it's God, I am your laborer, I am your servant, and as I work, I'm doing this from you and for you. We cannot fix our trust and our hope in what we can do and what we have done. We fix our trust on him and his results. And as we trust, as we look to him, we are looking to him for the power and strength to accomplish that as well. So unless the Lord builds and watches then it'll be in vain. But when we do look to him, when we do consider him, it is the Lord's blessing. And it is, it is not anxious-inducing, it is peace-inducing. What is one way that we communicate this? How are, unless the Lord builds or watches dependence, how do we fix our trust? It's shown in our prayer. It's shown in our life of prayer. It is, it is Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We express, unless the Lord builds, by our movement towards him in prayer. That has to be a priority for us, saints, personally, as a church. And what is the result when when there is confident trust in the Lord? What's the alternative? There is not anxious toil, but God, look at verse 2, gives his beloved sleep. There's a bunch packed up in that little peace. Don't miss this. You see, Solomon had another name. Actually, the prophet Nathan came to David after his son was born, and he said his name would be Jedidiah, which in the Hebrew means beloved of the Lord. God gives his beloved. Solomon knows sleep. But this description is not just for Solomon. Remember, this is a psalm that God's people would sing. God's people would pray and remember all of God's people, you saints, beloved of the Lord, loved by God. Knowing that we are loved by God changes anxious hearts. Knowing we're loved by God changes why and what we do. And what does he give? Note the four in contrast to the above. Vain, anxious, purposeless labor, or as we rely on the Lord, he gives his beloved, those he loves, sleep, rest. We should think Sabbath here. Peace, when things are all made right. The entire practice and command of the Sabbath was an act of faith on God's people. It was, it was an act of obedient worship. That day, God's people would cease from working. They would stop. They would, they'd have to relax and stop and realize that all my sweating, all my working has to cease because I am entrusting my life to the one where all of this stuff comes from to begin with. 
He is the one to be honored. He is the one who gives and provides. He is the one that creates safety and protection and provision for me. All of this is from you, and I'm entrusting my life to you. And because he is the sustaining God, he is the one who's watching over his people continually. Psalm 121, which is also found in this section of verses, uh, of, of psalms, of songs of ascent. The psalmist said this, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Why can his beloved people sleep? Because we have a God who watches. We, got, we have a God who never takes his eyes off his kids and who loves them, cares for them. That's why David writes, I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Therefore, sleep is a gift from God and is deeply theological. It is an act of worship. It's an expression of humility. As I say, Lord, I'm vulnerable, I'm helpless, I'm dependent, and as I lay down to sleep, I'm entrusting all the control out of my hands and all the work out of my hands, and I'm, I'm giving it to you. I'm resting in you. But like an indicator light on our dashboard that tells us something in the engine is wrong, something under the hood, our, our anxious toil, our anxious heart can expose something. At, at times it is exposing a disconnection from God and our trust in Him in all things. An anxious toil can lead to a host of issues, sleep problems being one of them. And the studies show all kinds of problems, even with us in our culture right now. Health, physically, mentally, if we don't sleep. So if my toil doesn't produce what I'd hope to, or the thing I am hoping in, the byproduct is hopelessness, vain toil, emptiness. And that can be followed by all kinds of things, like anxiety and worry and fear and depression, irritability, Sleep deprivation, not eating well, I can't concentrate, given to substances or escape into media, withdrawal from my family or others. Is, that, is there a dash light indicator ringing out for you, maybe? Jesus is inviting us to him. Beloved. Jesus teaches us, why are you anxious about food and clothes and these things? What, where, he challenges his disciples, where is your faith? Don't you, don't you know that your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things? Look at the flowers, look at the, look at the birds. He, he cares far much more for you. And he wants his beloved to find rest in him. And because you are the beloved of the Lord, the things we put our hands to have great purpose. If that's delivering pizzas or if that's open heart surgery, there is great purpose in what his beloved do because of why and who they do it for. And it calls us to stop. It calls us to relax and say, Lord, you are the ultimate one who provides and protects and brings the peace that I need. And I'm beloved of you. So it transforms work from vanity and meaningless, meaninglessness to eternal purposes not because of what we do, but why we do it and who we do it for. And next we see a blessing of children. So in this building of a city, this town, this home, 
There's this connection to our children. Work done for him is a blessing, and children from him are a blessing. Look at verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. One commentator speaks of this sort of this inheritance, this heritage. He says, instead of our children inheriting our land or estate from us, we inherit them from Yahweh. The point is to show that while they may be indebted to us, we are ultimately indebted to God for them. They are his. They are his, and it's an inheritance. And an inheritance is not by chance. It is, a plan, it is planned to come your way, a contracted delivery, not like a lottery, right? Children are not just random biological consequences and chance. Children are a gift, a blessing planned by the Lord invaluable gift to us to steward so we are indebted to God to honor him with them and we get this this beautiful imagery of a, of a warrior who, who with his arrows is preparing to launch them out and a, a warrior would spend hours or days giving attention to preparing that arrow of, of sanding of balancing of straightening so that that arrow would shoot accurately and properly and well the goal of the arrow wasn't to just hang out with the warrior, it was to send. The goal was to release into something else, and that is the goal for our kids, to release them into a world, a world as, as disciples of Jesus, as we seek to see them grow as disciples of Jesus. And blessed is the one who has them. A quiver full of them is what it tells us. Now, this isn't a command that you have to have 12 children. Uh, but it, the point is that they are a gift from God, not a curse. Some of us need to be reminded of that. Children are a blessing of the Lord, but they are hard work. They're hard work, and they come with disappointments. They come with sorrows. They come with sanctification. Commentator Derek Kidner playfully writes about this process, and he says, and it is not untypical of God's gifts that first they are liabilities, or at least responsibilities, because they become obvious before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. Yes, children are a handful. Children are a handful, and I, and I appreciate the way the psalm begins. It begins with the builder's heart. It begins with the builder's heart before it comes to the point where what we need to do with our arrows. We have to be, first and foremost, being addressed by the Lord. And parenting does that. It addressed our hearts first and foremost before we move to shape and mold our children. Children then see and they witness moms and dads wrestling with their own weaknesses and their own sins and they, they see them moving towards Jesus in dependence and hope in the gospel and asking forgiveness and saying, children, he watches, he builds, I need him and so, so do you. But in God's timing and his blessing, these children grow older and it says that he or the parent shall not be put to shame and when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, the gate was a place, a place of commerce, was also a place of judicial stuff that would happen, contracts and disputes. So the reward of the children fortifies the city so that all in the city are blessed. When enemies come and there's a quarrel or there's war, God's city is going to be fortified by charactered, strong, courageous, 
men and women. Spurgeon later says, nobody cares to meddle with a man who can gather a clan of brave sons about him. Strong city, because there's a multiplication of God's people and his disciples who are trusting in God. And there's a strength in that. So this psalm challenges our need for dependence, not just on us personally, but on this movement towards caring for our children. Unless the Lord builds. Unless the Lord builds. We can't parent. We can't lead without his power and his help and his wisdom. And again, the repetition, unless the Lord builds, our expression of that is in our prayer for our children. Now, a note, if you don't have children, that's okay. The emphasis here isn't that if you don't have children, you are less than. So don't tune out on that. The point is, in God's community, in God's city, it is a collective responsibility for everyone and every gift and every part is needed. The fortifying, the blessing, the strengthening of the city certainly flows from the home, parents in the family, but it flows from the community all doing their part. The studies show that children who grow up in a tribe, who, who are collectively caring and supporting for those children, serving, serving, discipling, supporting, there is health in that. Every one of us play a part in that, no matter your age. The sad irony of this, as we remember our author, Solomon, is a lesson here. As you know the story, in all his wisdom, in all his glory, the kingdom was eventually ruined by his sin. At some point, he stopped building in the Lord. He stopped praying unless the Lord builds. He turned to idolatry, to his many wives, his son, the one that actually came and began to lead was not this son that would hopefully be found from this psalm, but led into corrupt brokenness that eventually led to the splitting of two kingdoms in in Israel. So it's a reminder for us all the way to the end. It's a call for us to build. There's There's not one point where that doesn't become an absolute necessity for us as we build. Unless it is built on trust and faith in God, it's going to crumble. It's going to crumble. And human actions and activity is needed. Builders are needing to build. Watchmen to stay awake and watch. Parents and children to build homes. But where will the promise of blessing come? Where will the, the, the communication of true value come? Our trust and our dependence on the Lord. But we know that God is not simply about building earthly houses and physical cities with one ethnic nation. That's not where this psalm ends. It is pushing us into a purpose of redemption, a plan, a purpose of his eternal purposes, a spiritual building, his kingdom that would expand to all nations, to all people through the salvation of his son, Jesus. And Jesus becomes then this foundation or the way to ascend to true worship to God. It's not Jerusalem. It is through his son Jesus into God's presence. And so Jesus comes and he teaches. He shows us. He provides the way through his gospel. And and we hear him talking about building. We hear his words about us all building our life on something. We're told a parable about a man building a house on rock and another one building on 
on sand. And Jesus tells us, tells us in Matthew 7, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What is the building now? It is, it is a building on Christ's words, his gospel. The wise men built on the rock, the foundation who is Jesus and his word. And when the storm came, it withstood. The building stood. But the one who wrongly built, the one who built it on sand, was destroyed. Storms come. Storms are coming. And Jesus' words and ultimately himself will be the one we must build upon. Jesus taught in John 15 to abide in him. And he tells us to abide in him like, like, a, like a branch connected to a vine as a source of life in reliance and trust and in worship. And then he, he couldn't be more plain when he says this in verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless you build in me and build upon me, you can do nothing. Unless you build and are connected to me, you can do nothing. But when we're connected to him, it tells us his disciples bear fruit. And it flows from his love. So Jesus teaches us, and then we see Paul teaching us. Jesus' apostles were commissioned, and they took his words and the power of the gospel and the spirit, and they built and they labored in the kingdom for the work of his churches. And they see churches being built on Jesus and God's people. And yet, the churches struggle to keep that in view. We today, in 2022, could be susceptible to the same, the same error. And this is, what, this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 to a, to a struggling church who started chasing gifts and spiritual things and visions that were beyond what they should be. And there was disunity because they were wanting to follow this leader and that leader and elevate certain leaders as celebrity super pastors. And the church's vision got all screwed up because they were building all on the wrong things. And this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive its wages according to his labor. Listen to this, church, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one of you take care how he build, builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So who is God's building? It is his people. It's his church. And people can build all kinds of churches on all kinds of foundations. But there's a warning for us here. 
A reminder for us, church, it's a reminder for us that we pay careful attention to what foundation we are on. And what should we be? What does verse 11 tell us? What is our foundation? Jesus Christ. It's his gospel alone. It's his person alone. We can't skimp. We can't use cheap knockoffs like stubble and hay and straw, even shiny things that could look from a distance that all things are pretty and good, but one day it's going to be tested. And unless the Lord builds and we build on Jesus Christ alone in his gospel, it won't stand. But as we do build, church, we, we each play a part. As Peter says, we're living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Every part building on Jesus the foundation unless we build in the gospel first and foremost the gospel and it and as i was reading corinthians this week and i was preparing this this sermon i i it brought joy to my heart to know the cross of grace see here was the rebuke from paul who are you of like are you of this person are you of this person are you of that movement are you of that thing and i and i thought cross of grace is of jesus They are gospel people. They want to build on Christ and him alone. And that brought such encouragement to me. Such encouragement to me. So we build. We build as gospel people. And as we saw in Psalm 127 earlier, the builder, remember that connection, the builder and the children, right? So the the building of the city and home is really the building of of a family, or in other words, the building of people. The kingdom of God, God's city, is not made up of rocks and wood. It's people. It's God's family. The city is made alive and good and beautiful because it has redeemed humanity in it, not pretty buildings. Image bears of God who live for his glory. And so Cross of Grace, how we build as a church, it's not going to be bricks and stones physically. Our, our hope and desire is one day that we have a building, that we have a facility to fulfill our mission. But the fulfillment of that mi- mission is not the building. It, it is that we look to, gospel, to the gospel we build on Jesus and disciples are made. That is the goal. That is the priority. And so Psalm 127 gives us discipleship priorities. Like a city, its health and vibrancy will be determined by the health of the one worker, the one family, the one home, the one disciple, all collectively working together for the good of that one. So like little cells as a piece of the whole, the church of God is made up of many disciples, many parts, making up the body, the whole. So the blessing of our church, the church, and its furthering of our mission as a whole, it's going to be fruitful and a blessing as we each give attention to the discipling of the small. As we give attention to our own hearts as we give attention to our own marriages, as we give attention to our own parenting and our, and our homes, as we, as we seek to treasure and love and worship Jesus and our kids see the gospel and by God's grace learn to treasure and love Jesus, that we become individually working together for a generational discipleship of relationships functioning in all levels, the young discipling the old and the old helping and discipling the young and we're all contributing the small things to the big things so we can advance as God's people, as God's family. Brothers and sisters loving one another, following Jesus, building one another up in the faith, growing up as living stones into the house who is all trusting upon Jesus.
So let's celebrate multiplication and let's keep having babies. It's good. And let's all work hard and diligent and faithfully by God's grace to disciple well in our homes, marriages and children and teens. And let's celebrate multiplication spiritually, spiritual births and work hard to see maturity and disciples made and that we would all be on board by the Spirit to do that. And so we look ahead, churches, this, this ministry year. There's nothing significant about this year. It is, it is the goal of every year that we continue to be faithful to that mission to make disciples of the glory of God. And we, we're a smaller church, and that's okay. But we play a grand part in the mission and the advancement of God's kingdom, of what God's doing universally in the world. But we're going to do that, and we're going to play that part as we build with Christ at the center, church. Jesus as our foundation. When we build for his glory and by his strength and by his power dependent on the Holy Spirit, we build together in unity, not alone, not individually, but as a community. As we give attention to the small and the little, God will provide and grow to the, to the, and help us grow. As we steward marriages and we steward our homes in the gospel and we continue to look outwardly as we, as we as we consider that arrow shooting, that we are making disciples to go. We want to we see God use us to plant churches. We want to see God use us to advance the gospel out and beyond us. But we, but we can't do it unless the Lord builds. We can't do it unless the Lord's built. And what is, what is one way we can continue to express that dependence upon the Lord unless the Lord builds is prayer. Is prayer. So I want to invite you to pray with us as a church this year. To lean into prayer with us. We meet at 9.15 in this conference room here every Sunday morning to pray. Join us if you can. I know you're, some of us are just busy with all other kind of ministries, but join us as we pray for Sundays, as we pray for our mission, as we pray for the gospel to go forward in our town and our city, and there'll be other contexts and ways to pray this year, but pray. And let's make this a common refrain this year, unless the Lord builds. Unless the Lord builds. We're not going to do it we're not going to do it. We're not going to put our hand to it. It's not going to work unless the Lord builds. And, and we can do this when we do, when we move towards him, we say, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to pray. And as you guide us and we lean into your will, we're going to build in the gospel. We're going to pray for his blessing and his wisdom and fruit and our labor. And we're going to rest in him. We're going to rest in him. And this is, I think, what Paul had in mind when he charged the that church in Corinthian later, in Corinth later, my beloved brothers, he loved them, as he knew he was loved as beloved. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labors are not in vain. As we we abound in the work of the Lord, actually in the the Greek, the possession of this is it's the Lord's work. It's not we're working for the Lord. We're participating in God's work, the Lord's work. He's inviting us to be a part of. We know when we are doing what he's building and he's, he's, he's working out, it is, it is never in vain. It is never in vain. And we're going to sense his blessing and his joy.